Welcome to our Holden Village podcast. For over 50 years now, Holden Village has traveled a rich history of faith that has transformed a copper mining town into a vibrant place of education, programming, and worship. Holden has sought to welcome all who seek contemplation and community in the remote wilderness of the beautiful Cascade Mountains. We continue to invite people of all ages to come alongside our rhythms, which inspire and equip travelers for a sustainable life of faith outside the village. And we continue to listen and reflect on our story and history and seek to discover our place in God's creative mission in our world. Our podcasts are a way of sharing our conversations with our teaching faculty around reformation, the reforming of our relationships with the earth with each other, and with a divine. Let's tune in and join the conversation. Hi, I'm Jim Martin Schramm. I'm a professor of religion at Luther College in Decorah, Iowa, and uh, I'm really glad to be in the village this summer. I'm doing a series of three talks on the broad theme of eco-reformation. I co-edited a book that was published by Whip and Stock in late 2016 by this title, Eco-Reformation, Grace and Hope for a Planet in Peril. I'm a Lutheran theologian. All of the voices in this uh, publication, 16 different essays, they're all Lutherans, biblical scholars, historians, theologians, ethicists, liturgical theologians, uh, pastors, activists, all reflecting on what does it mean to be a church that's always reforming, and perhaps that the direction we need to be reforming today is by addressing the greatest challenges that we face today, which are environmental problems, actually social and environmental problems. But So the three sessions I'm, I'm doing are, uh, the first one is just a general introduction. What are those environmental challenges? I'll spend, I spent quite a bit of time on, on the issue of climate change. But I also talk a little bit about the rapid pace of the species extinction, as well as desertification, a deforestation perhaps is the better better word for it. And so I, I begin by more or less talking about the planet in peril, and then talk about the some. I, I use four voices out of those sixteen in this in, first introduction section to uh, talk about grace and hope for that planet in peril. So those four voices in this first session are David Rhodes, who is a retired professor of New Testament at the Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago, uh, Vanda Diefelt, who's a professor of religion at Luther College, where I teach in Decorah, Iowa, Anna Marie Vegan, who teaches at Loyola University in Chicago, and then a, an Australian scholar, Norman Hobble, who is a New Testament theologian who wrote 95 eco-theses. Uh, so, so one of the voices that, that I lift up is by a uh, theologian who taught at Lutheran School of Theology in, in Chicago. And his argument is, just as Luther addressed the most important issues of his day, so too should Christians today face the most important issues of our day. And in Luther's day, those issues were the fear of uh, eternal damnation and going to hell and your family languishing in hell or in purgatory. And then, frankly, economic exploitation as the church sold indulgences to these people tapping their, their fears. 
Today, I think a lot of people in the church and outside of the church, we're afraid of a lot of things, but one of the things we're afraid of is uh, the long-term impacts and present impacts of global warming and climate change. So I draw on four voices uh, out of the volume to sort of uh, address this general topic. The uh, second section uh, focuses on the motif of water in Scripture and explores ever-flowing waters of the Bible as a resource for thinking about eco-reformation. And in the second section, I draw on two voices in our book. My co-editor, Lisa Dayhill at California Lutheran University, and Ben Stewart at Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago. They both, Ben works with the motif of streams and floods and springs, and Lisa works with the idea of uh, baptism and returning to the way it used to be, where when you got baptized, you were immersed in the local waters. And her argument there is that if we were to do that again, we would probably pay a lot more attention to the ecological health and well-being of the rivers and waterways in our neighborhood. And maybe then the people who are the poorest, who tend to live right up against the, these bad waterways, would find those waterways to be improved because the rich are going to baptize their kids there too. Anyway, that's a really provocative idea that I think has plenty of value in terms of discussion. Ben Stewart talks about springs and how most old farmhouses in the United States, often farms were located by a spring as a natural source of refrigeration. And over time, springs clog up with dirt and rocks and weeds. And the farmer has to get in there and dig out the dirt and the weeds and the rocks so the spring can flow again. Well, Ben talks about our churches needing to clear out springs that prevent members in the pews from hearing the gospel and especially from thinking about how that gospel pertains to our care for creation. The third session uh, is titled Bonhoeffer, the Church and the Climate Question. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, famous Lutheran theologian executed by the Nazis at the end of the Second World War for ultimately joining a conspiracy that tried to kill Hitler three times. In 1933, in April of 1933, right after Hitler rose to power, Bonhoeffer wrote a famous essay called The Church and the Jewish Question. And in it, he talks about three responses that the church can take when the state is oppressing other people, in this case, Jews. He said the first thing they can do is ask the state, are you doing your job? because it doesn't look like you are when you abolish everybody's constitutional rights and start to treat Jews in particular in different ways. Secondly, the church's obligation is to take care of those who are harmed by the state and its actions, whether they're Christian or not. And then the third thing Bonhoeffer says, remember this is April of 1933, the third thing is if the state doesn't listen and if they keep producing victims that the church has to take care of, then it may come a time when the church has to stick a spoke in the wheel of the state, stick a monkey wrench into the works. So I use that threefold, I introduce that threefold method to in this third session and then switch the topic from the Jewish question to the climate question. What should the church be doing in relationship to the climate question? Well, sure, certainly we should be asking the state, are you doing enough? Because it doesn't look like you are. 
Secondly, we should take care of those who are harmed by the impacts of, of climate change, and we are. And Lutheran Disaster Response and Lutheran World Relief are you know, facing mounting crises all the time. But then the third question is the one I spend most of my time on, is when and whether it's appropriate for Lutherans to engage in civil disobedience to stop the fossil fuel addiction that our society has. Can I stop there and yeah, grab, yeah. grab my book? And yeah, I, no, I want to go back to that. No problem. Um, you got it. I'm so. I'm so <laughs> You're gonna what, get get that guy's name? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how you would splice that in. Oh, I can. Just I'm just mortified that I can't you can. <laughs> you could just reintroduce him, and then I'll paste her over the whole section. Sure. Where you're sure. saying who he was. Sure. Um, can I just go now? And yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, so those four voices in this first session are David Rhodes, who is a retired professor of New Testament at the Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago, uh, Vanda Diefelt, who's a professor of religion at Luther College, where I teach in Decorah, Iowa, Anna Marie Vegan, who teaches at Loyola University in Chicago, and then a, an Australian scholar, Norman Hobble, who is a New Testament theologian who wrote 95 eco-theses. Uh, so. Oh, that's good. Um, well, I, it's, it's interesting listening to these three podcasts uh, in a row. Um, so, I mean, it's great listening and hearing the topics because I, from all the recording stuff, I don't generally go to the sessions because it feels like I'm working. But... Um, I love that, uh, I mean, I've heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but uh, the three recommendations like that, that's just such an awesome guideline, um, mm -hmm. because what, uh, the first person that did the, Laura, Laura is her name, um, this week, uh, or yeah, Laura Gifford, mm -hmm. she's just talking about the polarization uh, and, and the historical um, aspect of Politics and seeing, you know, crazy elections and and, and polarization um, in the right. past, uh, and then, well, the importance of having moderators, um, but uh, that the that the, the church uh, and the concepts of faith and hope uh, and and like you said, grace um, have a huge role in our future outlook, and those aren't necessarily in politics obviously mm -hmm. but um a way for them to be in politics um are those three things that you mentioned in terms of yeah taking care of people that are suffering from mm -hmm. um the 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 this yeah the, the clash or whatever is the major problem of the day and then then the uh encouraging the, the policy makers that are doing their job and then um and then the spoke and the monkey works like um, that sort of sounds uh, really, really difficult. Uh, and I'm curious of examples uh, where church has done things like that. That mm -hmm. uh, you know, or is yeah, it's just an, an example of it, having worked, or at least maybe maybe not worked, or um, what were the repercussions and how, how did they do it um, 
who who benefited? Well, obviously, hopefully everyone did. But. Yeah, sure. No, I'll talk a little bit about that. The the uh, the monkey wrench in the works, or the way Bonhoeffer puts it, is the spoken in the wheel. Uh, the goal is to bring about the end of an unjust government so as to restore justice and peace and democracy. The fo- while Bonhoeffer and his conspirators felt ultimately that they had to try to kill Hitler to achieve that, Bonhoeffer wasn't necessarily suggesting that that's what sticking his spoke in the wheel means. And so without question, Bonhoeffer would have supported any number of nonviolent, creative nonviolent means of, of uh, ending an unjust, the unjust reign of a, of, a, of a government. So think about the role of the Protestant churches in Eastern uh, Germany, um, bringing down uh, the Berlin Wall. Um, that was a huge, uh, the churches were at the center of that. There were many atheists, but they joined uh, candlelight uh, processions and vigils that grew in numbers to the tens of thousands on repeated evenings uh, during uh, whatever that was, 1989. There was an example where the church played a role in bringing to an end an unjust uh, regime. I think you could say the same thing um, to perhaps a much lesser extent in South Africa where various... um, uh, progressive Christian organizations uh, opposed apartheid and uh, over time delegitimized apartheid and helped to organize an international campaign against apartheid that ultimately brought South Africa to its economic knees. Um, so those are examples, I would say. Uh, they don't have to, it doesn't have to be violent resistance. Uh, better to focus, and that's why I'm focusing on creative, active, nonviolent resistance in that. Yeah, I, I totally get it. No, I was thinking about the Middle East conflict is yeah. way above my head, but in terms of Egypt and the, the Arab Spring, yeah, uh, with uh, it was like the Muslim Brotherhood and um, and and more. I mean, they weren't fully extremist, but there was. It was just a. It was a, um, and then there was. I don't know enough about it, but um, more liberal in Egypt and um, just a a greater coming together of like-minded hopes and groups of people with a similar faiths that uh, helped provide momentum um, for pushing certain changes. And I I think, yeah, now I I get it in terms of the monkey works, it's uh, massing together, um, sharing um, yeah, in, in Bonhoeffer's day, it boiled down to the actions of a few brave people um, okay. who, who had, the, had the ability to pull this off, and they were predominantly uh, high-ranking officials in the military and the intelligence services. But I'm sure Bonhoeffer wouldn't have conceived of this throwing the monkey wrench in, in, into the works as being solely the work of the elite. Uh, and that ideally you would bring it about nonviolently through these. Uh, and, and Bonhoeffer was very interested in Gandhi's approaches to nonviolent resistance and wished very much that he could have gotten the Protestant 
church in Germany to employ some of those techniques. And when the Norwegian church did that after the Nazis invaded, Bonhoeffer actually found a way to encourage them uh, to do so. Can I say, can I go Absolutely, back yeah, on, that, on that, those first four? Mm -hmm. I want to just say a little bit about what they're doing uh, or what their specializations are. So, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Totally. Okay. Let, yeah, me, no, let me just yeah, get yeah. that down because I, I mean, just telling you who they are and where they're from doesn't really say anything. So, in in the first yeah. session, um, I I use four voices out of uh, the the volume. One is uh, David Rhodes. Um, he's a retired professor of New Testament at the Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago. And his contributions really focus on um, resources in scripture and in Christian theology uh, for an eco-reformation. Uh, as I said, uh, uh, Norman Hobble from Australia is uh, another one of the voices that I lift up at the outset because he has penned these 95 eco-theses uh, for an eco-reformation. I also draw on Vonda Diefelt, who's a professor of religion at Luther College, where I teach, and her focus is particularly on uh, Lutheran theological resources for an eco-reformation. And then uh, Anna Vegan, who teaches Christian ethics at Loyola University in Chicago, uh, focuses on the, uh, her title is Living Advent and Lent, a Call to Embody Reformation for the sake of human and planetary health. And her argument is that the planet has a fever and we've caused it and we need to treat it. But then she goes on to think about how to uh, mourn and lament uh, the state of the planet during the season of Lent while also uh, finding hope and uh, the gospel of, of, of grace uh, during the season of, of Advent. What was her name again? The last one again? Anna Vegan. Anna Vegan. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the climate as a or the Earth as a fever, and, and we're the virus. Yeah. Trying to get rid of this. Yeah. yeah it's dangerous rhetoric when you call human beings viruses, because uh, there are a lot of people who'd be happy to, to kill other human beings to kill the virus. They tend not to want to kill themselves. That's right. The... Right. right. <laughs> yeah. The the other um, yeah you know the mass movement the nonviolent part uh, I mean I was just thinking of the civil rights movement in, yeah. in, in terms of the sit-ins and and how it takes uh, yeah it's it's uh, uh, I don't know I, I got to learn more about the word but the moral jujitsu turning mm -hmm, turning mm -hmm. uh, the 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 people in power's um, amount of energy uh, and just power uh, on themselves in a in an opposite way um, mm -hmm. so that it it turns the tide turns the tides and then having the unfortunate people that uh, inevitably have to die um, in horrific tragedies to um, sort of bubble to the surface of uh, everybody's awareness mm -hmm. to be the catalyst mm -hmm. for changing Mm -hmm. um, to ignite the conscience of the oppressor. Right. For the oppressor to see the oppressed as a subject and not as an object. Yeah. That's, what's, that's what Jesus is all about in saying, turn the other cheek. Uh -huh. Because uh, if you're being struck with the right hand mm -hmm. on your... If you're struck on the right cheek, right. that's because I'm hitting you with my right hand mm -hmm. across your right cheek. Got it. But then if you turn your cheek and face me... Now, if I'm going to have to hit you, I'm going to have to hit you straight on. Okay. And the, the back slap 
is the treatment that the oppressor gives the oppressed. It puts you in your place. But if I hit you straight on, I'm treating you as an equal. Mm-hmm. And the argument here is that, that the, the oppressed is forcing the oppressor to see the subject as an equal. Um, and the idea is in that moment, perhaps, to ex- in, in, uh, ignite their conscience to help them realize that I'm, I'm uh, harming another human being. This isn't just a slave. This right. is, is another this the way, human being. This is the way I want to live. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's the. No, that's fantastic. Um, I, I got, I got plenty. Okay, yeah, <laughs> cheers. Totally. No, Great. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Jonah. All right, Good stuff. Thanks for joining us for another Holden Village podcast. Be sure to view the links in the description for more information, or visit our website to find out more about the village. We hope you will make a pilgrimage to Holden. Blessings and peace to you.